It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What's going on, Bengals fans? Changing it up on you this time. It's time for another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast with Jake and Joe. We're continuing our countdown to kickoff today with a bunch of tight ends that happen to be bundled in the 80s. And then we're going to take some of your questions. The Bengals, while 80 is typically a number reserved for wide receivers, have only two, uh, sorry three receivers wearing numbers in the 80s. So we'll talk about them next week. This week is going to be tight ends. As always, you can find the podcast on the Himalaya podcast app, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. That's right. That's all First correct. one up. First one That's up. all correct. First one up. We're starting at 89 because there's nobody wearing 90. So of the 90 numbers, no 92, no 90. Should so, we look at I the history are... of the number 90 on the Bengals? Who comes to mind first for you when you think of 90. Michael Johnson, right? He wore that originally. Or am I off? No, he wore 90 and then came back as 93. That's correct. He was originally MJ90. That's right. Then he became MJ93. Justin Smith wore number 90. Justin Smith, right. We don't need to go much further than that. Those those are two good 90s, and no one's carrying that now. Yeah. I can't think of 92, though, outside of Pat Sims. It had to be just be Sims, and I'm sure there have been a plethora of defensive linemen. Oh, sure, number eight ninety-two. I'm just thinking of re- recent history. Let's see what we got here. Ninety-two is what start, you're wondering about. Yeah, is there anyone significant? Dwayne Clements. Oh yeah, Dwayne Clements was good. Frosty Rucker. That's right. And yeah. this, this only goes to 2012. So if people, Pat Sims, you said since 2012. Other 90s in the history of the Bengals, Pat Sims. <laughs> and Pat Sims or 90 also. <laughs> and some names I don't recognize. So maybe the people that have been correcting us lately can, can chime in. Emmanuel King, Eric Shaw. That was in the 80s and early 90s. Gerald Collins for a year. Tim Johnson for a year. And Michael Bankston for two years. All right. Yeah. I don't know any of those names, I don't think. So 89, who do you think of when you think of 89? Because Drew Sample's going to wear it now. I'm looking at the list. It's yeah. Jerome Simpson, right? Jerome Simpson is uh, Jerome Simpson's like the only name I, I would have remembered without right. looking at this list. Looking at the list, Matt Schobel also wore the number. That's right. Matt Schobel did wear 89. Yeah. Let's hope uh, Drew Sample is not Matt Schobel. Yeah, it'd be good if he was better than Matt Strobel for a second-round pick. Yeah. Watching the Rams offense in my series for the Athletic and really breaking it down, uh, I do see why Drew Sample was definitely prioritized. They use the the tight end, the block, a considerable amount of time, especially because everything is building towards the play-action pass. Even their run game is built to eventually get them a chunk play on a play-action play. And that tight end is blocking more than that on those plays and coming across the formation and blocking pass protecting and samples good at both of those things. It'll also be asked, I assume to do some receiving. We've talked about it a lot. He's been the most promoted player on the Bengals this whole off season. I'd say. I think he'll have a few catches. 15, 15. Yeah. Maybe one a game. I feel like that's low, but also that's probably correct. 
You know what I mean? Because there'll probably be a couple games he has two, a couple games he has none, a couple games he has three, a couple games he has none. I think that'll definitely happen with him because if you look at how the Rams use their guys, and especially more of like a number two tight type tight end, how they used them, it was very game plan dependent, just based on situation. Yeah. And try and surprise, we're throwing it to the tight end actually this time. Well, if they do surprise, we're throwing it to the tight end this time. At least he's got above average athleticism across the board, as we discussed with the draft stuff. So let's go on to the next player, probably. You know who I um, was reminded of the other day when Math Bomb was going through his Bengals roster of the RES relative athletic score? Uh, Clint Bowling measured very similarly to Drew Sample in the way of not being. Um, very good in any one area, but being solid in every area, which ended up being a very good score for him. Sample was very similar. And I was like, actually, as a different position comparison for athleticism, I could see that a lot. All right. Next one's Jordan Franks at number 88 out of Central Florida, 6'4", 240, the lightest tight end on the roster, but maybe the best lateral agility outside of Tyler Eifert, in my opinion. I'll take your word on that. He was a remember. college free agent. <laughs> That's right. I know very little about Jordan Franks. He preseason played games eight to thirteen in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Caught a thirty-two yard pass in his NFL debut against Tampa Bay. That's right. That's right. It was the same play that Eifert caught week one versus the Colts, where it was like the play action come out of the backfield and wheel route up the sideline, and that's what Jordan Franks caught. They did that with C. Finn Carter also last. I don't mean last We're year, gonna year talk before. About him. No, I just mean same play. I'm just I'm, all right rattling off. I'm 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 uh, sharp today. I didn't work. Yeah, let's focus yeah. on the players okay. that we're talking about. He was gotcha. a linebacker when he started his career at the University of Central Florida. Wow, played That's... defensive back, then wide receiver, and finally got to tight end in his last two years. Kept gaining weight, football. huh? Must have. Couldn't catch, but so they moved him to the. <laughs> but he the started at linebacker. Oh, so maybe he could catch and kept getting bigger. Or wait, you, lost he went, weight he went and then got linebacker. Bigger? Yeah, I think he must have lost weight and then put it back on or something because he went from right. linebacker, I assume, to safety, to wide receiver, to tight end. You know, what happens sometimes. Maybe he was a freshman at like two ten, two fifteen, and they're like, okay, he'll grow to be a linebacker. And then he didn't gain anything. Right. So like, okay, you're a safety. Yep. And then he was like still 210, 215 at 6'4". They're like, all right, you're a receiver. And then he bloomed, in, or I should say boomed, gained some weight. And they're like, okay, you're a tight end. He uh, he had five kickoff returns in college. Amazing. He's got some agility to him. There, There's some fun facts about Jordan yes. Franks. Jordan Franks. I think he's got a shot to make the roster as more of an H-back type. I just think there's... The depth here at tight end is pretty good since they spent a second-round pick and brought back Eifer and Uzama. Yeah, he's a bit of a long shot, I'd say. Yeah, I but he made it last year. He made the practice squad last year. Sure, and I mean, he was called up eventually. I could see the exact same scenario again, where he's on the team, not the 53, and eventually could get time. Right, sure. Number 87, next on the list, CJ Uzama, 6'6", 265, now a veteran, sporting a new deal that should pay him like a solid to good number two type tight end. Will he be used that much? Hard to say, right? But yeah. this was the new coaching staff that kept him, and they right. plan to rotate the tight ends quite a bit. They also seem to think that they're going to be a mostly 11 personnel team. However, we've talked about this a few times, and this came up when I was talking to Evan Silva the Sean McVay offense that taught Zach Taylor everything he knows, not everything he knows, uh, was talking about wanting to do more than just 11 personnel this yeah. offseason. So that could also be something that Zach Taylor took away and, and said, you know what, doing everything out of 11, we need to have some variability. Yep. Th there are strategic advantages we've discussed with doing everything out of the same look, disguising things a little bit more. But I think the the amount of talent at the tight end position on this team and investment suggests what what Evan thought, which was that they would be in 12 personnel quite a bit, which was one of the reasons that he saw a tough path forward for some of the Bengals wide receivers in fantasy. And we have said also that the next guy or the two the guy we'll talk about later, two players later, uh, Tyler Eifert may be a receiver. And because of it, that would give them – 
Sure, you would. It'd probably be defined as twelve personnel, but what it would actually so. be is a lot of eleven personnel plays that you could run the same exact plays, but in the huddle it looks like you're coming out there in twelve. But you come out run the exact same play with Eifert as the slot guy, and it makes no difference. All all you did was probably screw up mentally the defense. Yeah, and what maybe, they should expect. Maybe you've baited a substitution or, or you exactly. get a mismatch kind of thing until teams figure. But I mean, it would be just like. Who was it? Jimmy Graham. He wanted to be paid as a wide receiver because he was never a tight end. So he was be essentially the same yep. thing. And teams have seen yep. that with Jimmy Graham for years. And you see it with Jordan Reed to some extent in Washington too. There yep. are these guys that are pretty much never blocking and exactly. rarely lining up in line. And, and opposing defenses still treat them as tight ends just because they're huge. I mean, you got so, a guy that's 6'6", 255. You're yeah. going to put a guy that's 5'10", 180 on him? Good luck. Right, exactly. And that's the same with Uzama. Is he 6'6", 265, with yeah. enough athleticism to be split out and you can do some receiver things with him, but he's definitely big enough and strong enough and stout enough that you can block with him or put him at the point and run behind him. And I think that's where he is different from Eifert and Sample, is I could see a scenario where Uzama is the number one tight end, and Eifert's the uh, uh, kind of a rotational weapon, uh, move guy, and slot receiver and sample is the blocking guy where really Uzama can do it all and he'll be on the field I think Uzama will get the most snaps out of this tight end group barring injury yes I agree so next moving player on. on the list is Mason Shrek who will be going into his third year from Buffalo local right. kid for Joe Goodberry he was a six seventh five. round pick in 2017 and as Joe just mentioned he's six feet five inches tall listed at 252 that's right, and he is known for being a receiver. He was in college, uh, good receiver, good mover. He was very productive. He had high production scores also. He tested pretty well. Uh, he had a chance to carve out a spot once Eifert and Croft went down. It lasted about a game and a half before he went on injured reserve, and I want to say a knee injury. Uh, if you remember, he caught a ball on the sideline. Yes. He got tackled weird, and, uh, he and that was it for him. Two left knee injuries in his career. He had a left knee injury in the preseason of 2017 and went yep. on the IR and then came back inactive uh, for a few games, I think. No, he played six out of the first seven games without mm-hmm. recording any stats and then had a season-ending left knee injury, as you said, against Kansas City. Yep, that's right. I remember that now. It was Casey. And that's the thing. I'd love to see him play. I'd love to see him do more. I think when he's flashed, he's flashed good ability in the preseason this past year. I just think uh, it's going to be hard for him to make it, especially if he continues to deal with injuries, obviously. Some fun facts about Mason Shrek. He has the same name as that green guy from the movie Shrek. It's spelled differently, though. He led his team, actual fun facts about Mason Drake, he led his team in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns as a, sen- as a senior. Yes, as a fifth-year senior for Buffalo in 2016. An and amazing thing about that is Anthony Johnson was a good receiver for them. Yeah. He didn't get drafted this year, but... And uh, his, his 651 receiving yards as a senior were the most ever by a tight end in Buffalo school history. Yeah, his production scores were really high. Yeah. He was a fifth-year senior, though, so he yep. must have come into the league a little bit older. He is mm. 25 now, so actually I guess he was 22 or 23. Not bad, then. Yep. He, he's from Cleveland, Ohio. He mm. was a quarterback in high school and also played center on the Medina High School basketball team. Interesting. Oh, center on the basketball team. You tricked me there. You had me going. I thought, he was, uh, I thought he was snapping it to himself on the Sna- football team. Snapping it to himself, that's right. <laughs> 85 now, as we know, is not Chad Johnson or Eddie Brown. It is, or is Isaac Curtis were 85. Anyways, I'm not going to do this. Old, old, the old guy's been all over us lately for our Bengals history. Rightfully Let's just so. talk. Right, rightfully <laughs> so. I am very aware of how all of this, I've got a lot locked in my brain of the last 16 years. Before that, uh, yeah. We got a good so, recommendation, though, to read Chick Ludwig's Bengals, what was it, Bengals Legends book? Chick Ludwig wrote a book? Sounds great. Yeah. Put it it's in the Tyler Eifert. A surprise first-round draft pick for the Bengals back in, what was it, 2013? 13? Yes, because they took Gio in the second round and Marcus Hunt also. Mm-hmm. And it was Never... only a surprise because they just took Jermaine Gresham and right. Eifert was projected to go top 12. Yep. 
Never had injury issues in college. Nope. Worth pointing out. Was the Notre Dame offensive MVP in 2012. From Fort Wayne, Indiana, another local guy. Local-ish. Right. And we've got some questions on Eifert uh, for the mailbag. So I okay. we've already talked about him a little bit. We're talking about other players. I think we can just move on. We all know who he is and what is at stake with him and his injury history. Fun fact about Tyler Eifert, he is probably my favorite player on the Bengals. Oh, really? Yeah. I think he can chug a beer. What do you think? <laughs> you think? <laughs> What's with tight ends that can party, huh? Yeah, I think that's the party position. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's all That's the it. players we're going to talk about today. We're going to get to your questions. We're going to take a little bit of a break first. Just really quickly looking at some of the other numbers. Did we skip any numbers there, Joe? We definitely did. We did? Didn't we? No, 80, 89, 88, 87, 86, and 85. We're good. We're, we're going to skip 84, though, and go to 83. Boy. Well, yep. let's talk about 84 real quick. Okay. So in the history of the Bengals, has anybody come to mind for you wearing 84? I got, I got one. And, and Gresham also wore. And Gresham. 84. And Gresham made a couple Pro Bowls, which I saw recently, and I was surprised to remember that. Yeah. I Bob Trumpy wore 84 from 1968 to 1977. So some history there at the tight end position for the Bengals. Mm. I don't really recognize any of the other names on this list. I'll take so your you word. Go. I think Cushmanzada and Trumpy are great, uh, should-be Ring of Honor type guys on the on the oh, uh, yeah. stadium. Definitely. All right, well, let's take our break and do questions. We'll be right back. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. It is the weekend mailbag episode, and we are... Diving in, unless, Jake, actually, there was some uh, quick news while we were recording this, right? Yeah, former Bengals coach, which Hayes was it? I don't know if it was Jay Hayes or Jonathan Hayes, but... One of the Hayes had their son drafted eighth overall by the New Orleans Pelicans, along with Zion Williamson, which, according to Twitter, is apparently one of the most athletic front courts in basketball, immediately, huh. with the two of them together. I think the Pelicans is a terrible name. I love it. I think it's hilarious. Oh, sure, hilarious. It doesn't roll off the tongue. And I mean, is it threatening? Are, are Pelicans threatening at all? They're are, big. Are Lakers threatening? Are 49ers threatening? I don't know what Lakers... 49ers are threatening. They're minors. Yeah, the gold rush of 1949. No, 1949. <laughs> it wasn't 1949, but the gold mm-hmm. rush. <laughs> you ever watched uh, some of the documentaries on that stuff they, they were killing each other they were yeah. watching out while one guy's discovering gold he's in the he's in the hole digging it up and that one guy comes up behind him just shoots him in the back this, this stuff happened all the time i'll just that's what they are right now when i think of san francisco i don't think of 49ers no i think of uh very um rich or i should say expensive housing san francisco is for the nerds like me for the nerds you'd be perfect there huh uh, it's a little too much for me. They all say GIF there. Anyways, let's move I, on. I bet you they don't. No, I think they do. <laughs> this is the first question. So, I'm read so it. hold up. You can't make this into <laughs> just an insult. It's not an insult. That's so rude. So, you, you like, you said You're you like using it derogatorily. Watch no. yourself. Let's take our questions. This first one's from Daniel Collins at DJ Collins 3. I don't think he's an actual DJ, but his middle name just starts with a J. Anyways, just out of curiosity, what do you guys think? And we're, I guess we're starting this off negative. But he goes, what do you guys think has to happen for Zach Taylor to be one and done like Steve Wilkes for the Cardinals last year? Or if the Bengals would even do that? Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Daniel. I feel like there would have to be like massive locker room strife. I think even oh, if yeah. they go 2-14, and 14, he's got a second year. Right. 
Like the Cardinals, though, there wasn't any of that, right? And that we know of. Well, they're just a different organization. Yeah, I mean, Mike Brown notoriously loyal, right? Especially since Marvin Lewis happened, and I think they, being that this is so, here's the way that he gets fired. Actually, is Mike Brown steps in and says, "You know what, Katie and Troy and Duke, you guys messed up." Right. I'm going to go get my guy. Like, it has to be abundantly clear, right? They go 0-16. He is completely in over his head and inept. All the assistants don't work out, basically. And it's like, we did not do this right. Yeah, and I I have a hard time seeing that happening, but it could happen. Right. I mean, Zach Taylor seems too smart and too too polished. Everyone says that they're learning well, right? And... and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it could happen. It's training camp. Everyone's going to say good things. It's the off season. I should say everyone's saying good things, but right. it's hard to really imagine it going that poorly. I agree. I think it's such a low percentage, but I think if I, and I think Daniel understands this. He just wants yeah. to know what would be the scenario. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think it's very likely. I think that there is a scenario of, of Mike Brown stepping in and, and being weird though. Sure. That's that's basically the whole time he's on the team, isn't it? Yeah. Mike Brown stepping in and being weird. <laughs> Next question comes from Chase Bruins. At I always thought it was Burns, but I can see it's not. Bruins E4. If you could keep two offensive players and two defensive players from the current roster and start over, who are you keeping? So I thought this was obvious at first, and then I started to think, okay, start over. So I want them to be young. I want them to, if I'm, I'm going to build, obviously, around these two guys. Uh, and then it got much harder for me to to do this. And I said, okay, well, at least on defense, I think I'll take William Jackson. And I'll be honest, I think I'll take Carl Lawson. And I do that because I, yeah, I know he's coming off injury, but I think his upside as an, as an edge rusher also. So I got a corner and an edge rusher. I feel like I can build around that. On the offensive side, Surprisingly to me, I started to go around. I'm like, I won't take Green because I think he's, you know, if he could be on the back. Obviously, he's on the back half of his career, but it, the cliff could be there any time for him. I don't think it is, but you know, obviously, I'll keep moving. Um, I'll take Jonah Williams, being their first pick, being young, being a tackle or any position really I could build around because I can put him probably put him at four, maybe even five out of five spots. And the other guy I'm going to take, which is a surprise to me because I was never high on him until last year when he was fantastic. I'll take Tyler Boyd. And I'm going to do that. And why not Joe Mixon? It's because he's a running back. And I don't know if I'd even extend him in, in two years anyways. But with Boyd, I think I'd have a guy that I can um, build a functional offense around. I'd still like to get a number one, but I think Boyd could get me there. The only difference for me is going to be Jesse Bates instead of Carl Lawson. I think you can build ah. around a safety corner combination. Yeah. And I have question marks about Lawson's ability to be healthy at this point. Mm-hmm. He's had two knee injuries now, and if I'm no, talking you're, you're about right. building a team, uh, those two are on the field every play too, which I, I think adds a little bit of value. I know pass rushing is more important, but y- mm. you know what I mean. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, you are right on this one. And I should have said Jesse Bates. If Lawson was healthy last year and played like he did his rookie year, then it's a conversation. But it's not because of he was because of his injury. Uh, yeah, and at that point, it, it becomes a debate probably between the two defensive backs. Right. And and how much do you do you believe that Jesse Bates can be Earl Thomas or or Ed Reed? Is that part right. of his upside, or is is last year his best year? And I don't think that. I think he's more Eric Weddle than Earl Thomas or Ed Reed. Either way, that's a best best safety in the NFL upside. Yeah, Weddle was a top five safety for most of his career. Yeah, and then on offense, the, 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 yeah, I mean, I think Boyd for sure. He's still young. Yep. And and I, I was thinking between Mixon and, and Williams as well. And I actually, my instinct was to go Mixon because he's proven something. And mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with Jonah Williams right now. The whole injury thing has me a little spooked. I know someone direct messaged me that I really haven't talked to often at all and gave me like, just a, he just he said one thing that was very scary and that did not say anything back to me after I said stop playing, and so I'll just leave it as that until anything else comes out because I don't want to scare people unnecessarily. It could have been some nut job in my mentions. I don't know, but he direct messaged me, said one thing, and got out of there. Yikes! Yes. <laughs> Next question from Alex at Dagda. Yeah, that's right. 
He says, which division do you hate playing the most? Alex says, I hated, I think his name's Alex, Alex with the question marks. I hated facing the NFC North, but I'm not too worried about many others. I like playing the NFC North. The Bengals have had good success versus the North, right? Yeah, they've, in the last, the, yeah, generally speaking, pretty good against the NFC North. I don't really like it when the Bengals play the NFC East because all mm. those teams are part of the ESPN hype machine. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a pain in the butt to deal with the coverage around it. And like, I don't know. I, I don't like, yeah. Uh, the NFC West is tough because yep. that includes two road trips to the West Coast, which is and, brutal for. And that's this year too, right? Yeah. Uh, mm. But but the division that I dislike playing the most is the AFC North. Yeah, that's the answer, right? I I. It's not fun for me to watch Bengal Steelers games anymore. And we'll see if this season's any different with a lot of the key guys gone. But those games are so ugly. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah. It's they weren't ugly stuff. last year, though. And that's because Perfect was out and things and like that. And they were also not very interesting. Right. Uh, well, you, no, I would disagree. The Bengals had a chance to win that last, that first one. Remember? When they took the lead with about a minute 20 left. And then Steelers drove down, long touchdown, 50-yard slant to Antonio Brown. I was very certain they were going to lose that game. Oh, me too, because they scored way too early. But yeah, I mean, with the way the defense was going last year, the only yeah. player that would have saved them would, would have been one of the two safeties. So outside of, obviously, outside of the AFC North, is there another AFC division that we're just like, eh, I'd rather not play the AFC South because I feel like all four teams give the Bengals troubles? The AFC South is very tough for the Bengals, yes. The Texans have been, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if it's TJ Yates out there, but when I'm talking playoffs, it's been an issue. The Colts have beaten them in the, in the playoffs also. So three of those playoff losses came to the AFC South. Right. Yep. And the Jags, last time they played the Jags, A.J. Green and Jalen Ramsey fight. Yep. I can't even remember the last Titans game. That, yeah, the Titans are a pretty forgettable team. Yeah. They ha- I mean, the Titans haven't been relevant since Steve McNair. I can't even remember that game. All right, anyways, you got the next one. Midwest Bias RT. What's that? What's an RT? Know. Road and track. He's a radiographer. Ra- radi- radiology technician? Technologist? One of those two things. Midwest Bias 21 asks, Now a question. If either of you were offered a job as a scout for Cincinnati, would you take it? Why or why not? I think I know the answer for this for you, and it's the same as it is for me. Oh, really? Um, I would love the opportunity to work in some capacity in the NFL. I think that'd be awesome. Obviously, the prestige, the chance to actually do all the things you do for free or actually for the for writing or podcasting, whatever the case may be that I do, whatever it is that I do, uh, an opportunity to do it officially and for real. But from everything you hear, scouts don't make a lot and they travel a lot. And um, that would be the the biggest thing with a young family. I would not like to take a big pay cut where I, you know, even though the job is is fun and and what I'd want to do and fulfilling, I think hopefully uh, it would be hard to do that and justify it at this stage in my life. Yeah, I'm also a no. I've done the travel thing. My first job out of university was a 45 a week. 45 weeks a year travel job. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to work in the NFL, sure. But taking a job as a scout would be a huge pay cut compared to my first job out of school. And uh, the lifestyle, I don't know how these guys do it. It's, nope. it's a grind in it the is. truest sense of the word. And I wonder if you have to travel as much as you Used to. You used to travel because you got the film when you got there and you would talk to coaches, you talked to players, which are good things. That is a good thing. I think they've talked about that they traveled less now. Yeah. There was a good piece on Bengals.com, one of my favorite pieces over the last four years or so, was that they do more video work now than travel work. And that's part of the reason why they don't have so many area scouts anymore. Not that they ever had a large, robust staff, but point being is they definitely do not. The other thing is, you want to get hired into the Bengals culture, the Bengals front office culture. Does that scare you off? No, because that's where I'd want to be to to really feel like I wanted to do it and felt like yeah. I cared about the job. You know, because me, I, I love the team and I'd I'd try my hardest every single time, every day I showed up, and I'd want to eventually succeed there and be part of it. 
Imagine Mike Brown listening to this podcast after he made me a job offer and hearing the things that I've had to say about him. There's no way. Mike Brown don't like me very much. A good manager or boss would be able to take the criticism and not want yes men around him and want people to give you feedback. Right. (laughs) I I made sure to say that. (laughs) All right, next one. On we go. One of the best names and then handles, I think, of all the people that mention us, and I'm welcome back to the podcast, JoJo Jammer at win one Super Bowl. And we're with you there, JoJo. Uh, But he asks or says, really like your countdown to kickoff review series and the way you're making your podcast interesting during this time of year. If Tyler has a productive, Tyler Eifert has a productive 13 to 16 game season with no major injury, would that be enough to get him a multi-year contract and a substantial raise? Hmm. Uh, From someone? Probably. That's that's a good question, right? That's a good part of it or, or angle. I yeah, think well, someone would give him like three years, three years, 25 million or something. I think he'll always have something in his contract for guaranteed game or the amount of games he plays, yeah. uh, guaranteed money in terms of incentives. I think he's just had too, too many injuries in his career to not put that. You'd be a fool to not do it. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause if he's healthy for a year, and he does what he does when he's healthy, like especially if they ease him off a snap count late in the year. Or, or even early in the year, or all the time. <laughs> and you get then, him through the year healthy? I mean, then he's potentially putting up 700 yards on, you know, I don't know, 75 catches with 10 touchdowns. That's his, right, that's his upside. That's his... his that's his best year, right? Right. Roughly. If he does that, he gets paid somewhere. I mean, and, and if he's healthy, he would do that every year, I think. There's, there's I do no think so. reason to think he wouldn't. Every time he's on the field, he produces crazy well. I, I can't yes. even, I mean, it's, it's hard to be super, superlative enough to his healthy production. Right. And I think, because we've talked about a bunch, his impact to the rest of this offense and this yeah. team and Andy Dalton, that you would say, okay, he was healthy, he was productive. We know some of his injuries were freak things. We like the guy. Obviously, they keep bringing him back. He likes to be in Cincinnati. He keeps coming back. Uh, yeah, I could see a, a two, three-year deal getting done. Now, is that a big contract? No, it's not. But it's – at the and I think the Bengals would protect themselves, as they do normally with any contract. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it would take all of that just to get a multi-year deal. Yeah. Yeah, you feel for him too, right? I mean, at least he's gotten deals along the way. He's, gotten he's made deals. money. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing fine. Next question comes from Anthony at Brooks367. Bengals are plus 1450 to win to the division. Do you take that bet? You putting $100 down to win $1,450? And I was just going to say, I don't know what this means. I know the higher the number, the better. The plus is good. I really don't know much about betting. I don't bet at all. But I do, to be honest, when I see some of these Bengals odds to win the division, I do think it'd be worth it to put 100 bucks on that. 100 bucks. I don't, everyone's money's different. I can't tell you to put 100. Maybe it's $10 for you. Maybe it's 1,000. Maybe you can afford 10,000. I don't know. Point being is, I would love, send me the link to this, Anthony, because I think I, I think for the fun of the podcast, something to stay with for the entire year, I'll put $100 on that. We should pool money together from no, the lockdown accounts. Listen no. to this. No. Nope. We put it all together nope. and we place a bet nope. on the Bengals to win the division. Definitely not. I'll pay so $10. So Jake's out, I'll- guys. <laughs> I'll put ten dollars in. Okay, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying put everyone puts a hundred in. We oh, chip man. in. We keep track of it. Let's just Whatever burn up as much money as we possibly can. There, what? Are, there's a chance. That's why they're getting fourteen fifty plus fourteen fifty. The chances are low, but they're going to pay out if they do. That's amongst. I, I guarantee you, that's amongst the worst odds in the NFL to win a division. Has to be. Has to be. You got to be with there with the, the Dolphins. Have to be. Lower. The Dolphins might be worse because the Patriots are in that division. Right. And maybe the Cardinals because of the Seahawks and the Rams and the Niners. But, uh, yeah, but that with those two teams notwithstanding, the Bengals probably are the worst. All right, we have quite a few more questions here. Let's take one more break and a few more questions. We'll be back after these potential words from our potential sponsors. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back and jumping right back into the questions. This guy is from Australia here, Lachlan at Lockie Jacks. I'm probably butchering that. It's probably got an accent to it. Anyways, he says, first off, Aussie fan from Melbourne here. I love your work and appreciate your insights. Do you guys play Madden? If so, maybe you could hold a competition where we each guess Bengals rookie Madden scores grades as of the as of release day. Not sure of the prizes, theme song, week or two, whatever. Cheers. I don't really play Madden. I tried it last year. It's like entirely built around this pay-to-win ultimate team mode now. And EA Sports is just raking in money off of people. EA, EA is bad. EA yeah. games, EA Sports, they're, they're not. Yeah, like to field so, a competitive team in this game mode, you need to spend hundreds of dollars. I don't play the ultimate team at all. And people do it. Oh yeah. You do you ever see how much they these video game companies make off these loot boxes and these? Uh, it's insane. It should be. It should be illegal. Pay for there, it may be, it may go that route very soon. Um, it's a form of gambling and it's, it's, it's predatory, it's so predatory. I don't like it at all. I'm with you on that. But as for Madden, I have been getting a free copy every year for the past few years, so if I get it again, I will play it and play it a little bit. Um, I also like ratings and Madden ratings and seeing what the rookies are rated and all the players are rated. I typically will re edit the entire roster yeah, myself. Me too and put it out there and i will you know and that way you guys can download it and things like that if you if you would like that so we'll we'll get close to that uh maybe we'll do a competition i don't i don't think this is a bad idea to see what the rookie ratings are and um see who can get close to it i, I think that's uh that's a fine thing we got a couple things lined up so maybe we'll we'll get that in there too i feel like jonah williams would premiere at like a 74 oh i was gonna say a little higher i was gonna say 76 or 77 yeah top offensive lineman uh, considered to be near his ceiling, but uh, potentially a top 10 pick for most of his college last two years, I think he'll get a good grade. If he went to a different team. No, oh, you're saying because he's going to the Bengals. I don't think that helps. All right, yeah. our next question comes from Ryan at CincyDay97. Give me three things you fully expect to happen during the 2019 season. So let's combine to get to three because I don't know if okay. we'll get there individually. I guarantee this is this this should be a segment anyways. I fully guarantee that the Bengals will start off slow. And I'm doing this based off the history of first-time head coaches and first-time play callers, which we will have both of those right now and wrapped into one with Zach Taylor. And the schedule is kind of tough in the beginning there. Now, if they get out of it 500, I think that, that bodes well for the rest of the year. But I do think they're going to come out of the gates slow and a little bit worse than we would like. Yeah, for all the discussion about how easy their strength of schedule is, the start of their schedule is so rough. Yeah, it's, and, and, that's and when you good. start out poorly, it's just like it ends your season. So it's it's very hard to get out of that and and keep your postseason hopes alive. I'm gonna say uh, John Ross will score a receipt or score a rushing touchdown. Mm, I like it. I agree with that. I agree completely. I put one of those plays in on my uh, running game breakdown in the athletic of Brandon Cooks taking a reverse. They show this reverse all the time, right? 200 and something times in a year. And they only actually handed it off to a receiver like 12 times. Mm-hmm. One went for a touchdown against this, against Seattle. I can definitely see that happening with John Ross. I like that. That's bold, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, he might get close. He might, like, break one off and not score or something. But I, right. I, I feel like there's high touchdown potential for John Ross on a, on a jet sweep. Okay, I've, I've got one. Right. So we we fully expect this to happen every year now. Okay, this is nope, this is one. Don't say it. Well, I don't know what you think I'm going to say. But I'm going to say Carlos Dunlap will oh, okay. save a game in the fourth quarter under two minutes left. With a with a batted pass or a sack, either way, he, right. he does or come strip. through the clutch. 
he does a lot. There's there's yeah. very few clutch guys, I feel like, on this roster. Carlos Dunlap has been one for a long time. I think the safeties are pretty clutch, too. I bet the safeties Williams, will win it. Man. One of the safeties will win a game in the fourth quarter. I like that, too. Yeah. We we can combine there and say the safeties or and or Carlos Dunlap will save a game, maybe together. That's what's going to happen. Or Come win back a game to this out, right? Sure. Couple sacks, couple batted passes, couple interceptions, and we're like, man, if it wasn't for those three guys, they don't beat the Steelers. Whoever, <laughs> I had to pick the Steelers on that one. There you go. Am I? Got, I have the next question here. Yeah, this is this is a weird one. Yeah, I like it though. No, Tyler I mean the question Lindsay. isn't weird, but the the situation. Yeah. So Tyler Lindsay stays topical, and Tyler, thanks for uh, asking another question and sticking with us. He mentions the Tampa Bay Rays. MLB baseball are looking to become a city team splitting their home games 50 50 with the city of Montreal. So back and forth 50 50 with Tampa Bay early. I I believe early season is going to be in Florida. Second half of the season is going to be in Canada. Um, He said, can you ever see the Bengals doing something like this? Seems heartbreaking for the fan base, but could help the team grow and become a bigger market. It's so weird. It is. I don't think the MLB is going to go for it. I just can't. It's so weird. The Bills were playing up to four games a year in Toronto at one point. I think two were preseason, two regular season, or one and three. They ended up getting two. Um, And Toronto's right there, though. Exactly. You can see Toronto from ten minutes from my house. So it it doesn't. That makes sense to be on the opposite ends. I mean, they're really going. They're going in another country, and they're not even close to that. They must have a lot of. um, people coming down from Montreal going down uh, to Florida. I, I think that Tampa just doesn't have fans in Tampa. And so here's a... I don't think that this is going to happen in the NFL. The Bucks struggle to sell out, too. Yeah, it's Florida teams generally, I think. All transplants. It's a lot the of people. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there, some teams go to London every year, and I think that's as far as it goes. I guess the Mexico City series is starting now, too. The Jags are doing that. The Jags are always playing one game in London. Yeah, but, I mean, half and half? I know. I don't see how you maintain either fan base, really, at that point. So you only get eight home games. So if you were to do four of them away, what if it was even just two? I think two is significant of your eight, like the Bills were doing. Yeah, I guess that could... uh... That could happen. I, I don't think that's crazy. I think it's crazier for the MLB to do it than it Definitely. is for NFL. You know what would be interesting about that is if you actually did establish a fan base in both cities, you would get two home openers. That's true. That'd be kind of cool. But like, How would you do the playoffs, though? Uh, I don't know. To say the Tampa like, Bay Rays first, make the playoffs. First, first home game in one city, next home game in the other city? Is that like first? It, how? Well, okay. What if it's game seven and you have the home game? Each city's. What are they going to bid for the right to to host that? Gets complicated. It does. And, and and then the other thing is like, how do players handle that? That's like terrible for families and. Yeah, that's. I didn't think about that. You're right. Yeah, even personnel people. I mean, anyone on in the organization. Yeah. You're going to live half of the season, and MLB season's long. It's tough. Yeah, I agree. You got the next question. Next question. Midwest Bias RT is back with another question. This is a two-parter? No, he just had a lot of good questions. Okay. Would either of you be in favor of a modification to the NFL schedule where teams play roughly every other week as opposed to every week? So instead of 17 weeks of football, there'd be more like 30 weeks. I think that extends the season too long. I see what he's saying because I think that it's been brought up to add more bye weeks. If, if they go to an 18-game, even more than that schedule, yeah, we're going to end up seeing them uh, play a little bit longer into the, the new year or even start earlier in, in earlier in September or even in August like college football does. And I think then you can build in a longer season and have more bye weeks and maybe less strain on the players. But I don't think every other week makes sense. I would hate that. I like yeah. to watch my team every week. I think, for one, I'll go on the record and say that I think 18 weeks is a terrible idea. Oh, they don't care. 
They want. I, I know they don't care, but I think it's an awful idea. I think it's terrible for the health of the players. I think that the off-season implications are there too, where you extend the period of strain on the body, reduce the amount of time available for recovery. You're going to get more injuries. You're going to see a lower quality of play in the playoffs because of those injuries. And I, I, I don't know. I just think it's a bad idea. I don't care how much money they're going to make. They're greedy. That'll be the argument from the players when this comes up. The Players Association, the the union, they'll say, hey, no, we don't want to get injured. We don't want this and that. I, I mean, their comeback will be expand the rosters, give us another bye week, and, you know, some more hands-off in OTAs, camps, and yada, yada. And pay them more. Well, of course, that's all. That's that's going to be a whole. It's what two two out of sixteen. That's another. It's another twelve percent on top of their contract. Right, you would have to adjust all current contracts, right? Yeah, they would have to. Right, 100%. I didn't think about that. But they do get paid preseason. I no. mean, what if they? They don't. I mean, they, they they get their if if you're signed to a contract, you get whatever the minimum guaranteed is. But the game checks don't start coming in until week one. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it just um, it's divided between twenty Let me weeks, look it up. and by twenty you just get it once every week, and then once you get in the postseason, it's um, it, it changes from there. But uh, either way, so if they still divided it by twenty weeks, and that's probably what they would do, and take away two preseason games and make it eighteen regular season games, and, and go from there. But yes, I would say that's what the players should argue for. Is even if you add a game or two, say, all right, fine, I need. 15%, 12%, 10% added on to our current deals. So preseason pay is set out by the collective bargaining agreement. Regular season pay is paid per contract at a rate of one seventeenth per week. So they okay. don't really get, they get paid like a per diem in the preseason. But that's Everyone like, the same? I, that's all I could find. Okay. It was pretty quick. <laughs> I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was one twentieth, but I guess one seventeen makes sense also because the contracts really aren't even guaranteed till week one, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, uh, not in favor of a bye every week. I wouldn't mind a second bye. I think yeah, me either. I think teams, that's a good like, idea. Teams that get a week four bye get so screwed. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah, that way you can balance it too. You got a week four bye, well, you get a week 12 bye also. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would just make, it would make spacing out byes really easy. Yeah. And especially the Thursday night games, you could give everyone a bye week before or yeah. after, you know, whatever yeah. is advantageous. Always um, before, I think. Yeah, right. And that that would be ideal if you could do that. Stop making players play on short rest as much as possible. Yeah, if anything, that's more dangerous to their health of yeah. all these things that they've done. Anyways, yeah. we're moving on. Midwest has another question I thought was worthy of the podcast, and that's three for you this week, Midwest. Good on you. Anyways, he says, how would you feel if the NFL moved their draft to the middle of the season like baseball? You probably need a farm system to work, he comments. So Midwest is throwing out these crazy ideas. Let's bat them around. How does it even work? College is still going. I mean, I guess in baseball, they're drafting guys yeah. out of college that are still in college. Yep. It gives you the rights to them. I feel See, like the I, way that the CBA is structured, that wouldn't work. Like, the players would have to finish out their college season or something. Because that happened with John right. Ross, right? Like, it would be like yes. that. If anything, I want to move the draft before free agency. Yeah. February, March, whatever it is. First week of March. Yeah, it can. I, I, I'm in favor of moving it up. For sure. I'm with you. And, and that way you can have a little more flexibility, a little more freedom to draft the players you feel you want rather than targeting specific needs. And then once free agency comes, you fill in from there. I don't think the NFL Players Association would like that, though. They want their veterans to get paid, and then you go to the draft. Yeah. I mean, how many veterans get cut because they're replaced by rookies, though? They would have to kind of weigh, weigh those two things together. But yep. I think the big contracts, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. Next question. Yeah. Comes from Andy Georgian. I wonder if that's because he's like a Georgian or if that's his name. Hmm. Or is it Jorgen, like GIF? Um, I think it's, I'm trying to pronounce that with a J and I couldn't do it. I'm trying, and that was the same thing. <laughs> Georgian and Gorgian. I think they make the same exact note sound here. No, if you no. tried to pronounce that with a J, how would it sound? Georgian. Right. Not pronounce it with a G. Jorgen. No. No, the, then the first G. No, no, no. I'm talking about the second G. Because ah, that's, that's just it. like GIF. G-I-N. Right. 
That what right. I was saying is on this the first, first letter. Yep, go ahead. <laughs> is, what's the floor and ceiling for Tyler Boyd this year for re- receptions, yards, and touchdowns? And let's assume health. Let's just assume right. health. Even though he hasn't been fully healthy for a season yet, he's usually missed one or two, or in that second year, whatever happened completely that wild year. Anyway, so let's say 15 games, one game missed or, or whatever. doesn't matter. Um, I think floor-wise would be that John Ross really explodes. They're using Tyler Eifert healthy, and that kind of caps uh, Boyd at maybe 60 catches for 725 yards and five touchdowns, right? Four touchdowns, let's say. Let's say that's the floor. Um, and that would be fine as long as everyone else is producing and this is a well-oiled machine. It's just not uh, at Rams last year level. It's introductory uh, offense that struggles early. High is, is that players go down and Boyd still plays the way he played last year. I think it's hard for him to be super productive uh, while everyone's healthy. And I mean that as a ceiling, he could reach. I, he's a guy, in my opinion, could be a TJ Hushman's out of catch 100 balls for 1,100, 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. I would say the only difference between him and Hush in terms of the ceiling is he could do better on a yards per catch basis yes. because of the way the NFL has changed. Yes. And he's, in my opinion, he's a, he, first of all, the, the, the offenses have changed so much, right? The, yeah. Before, remember that Bradkowski offense? It was all option routes for TJ, and he was perfect at them, but it didn't provide a lot of yards after catch. It didn't get him downfield very often. Although TJ was great after the catch. I always said, and I've said this on the podcast always made before, someone he, he was a running back with the ball in his hands after the catch. He was so hard to tackle for a wide receiver. Yeah. You just didn't give so many opportunities when you're running hook routes and, you know, you don't get a lot of chances yeah. on those. And he wasn't a burner either, right? Like, he no. would make some guys miss and he would run through He'd some get an guys extra two and yards. get the tough yards. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he wasn't a you're burner. Not, he's not going anywhere with it. Right. So, I do think agree with that. And Boyd was really good down the field last year. And if that's the case, again, uh, right, he, if he caught 100 balls, it could be for 1,250 to 1,350 yards, which is tremendous. He could be really, really good. we got to get TJ Hushman's out on the show. That'd be awesome. If anybody has a contact for TJ Hushmanzada, get in the direct mentions. Let us know. The best way to do that is in the uh, chat room for The Athletic. That is a wild place. There's a lot of phone numbers and contact information getting spread around in there. I feel like, should I save some of these? And I go, nah, well, I'll never call these guys. Well, I don't know, man. Isn't that how journalism works? I I guess, but I'm not a journalist. Well, but you you write for an organization that employs many journalists. No, completely intimidating to see someone like Ladanian Tomlinson's phone number go across the screen. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's it. I'm gonna keep moving. Yeah. I got the next question, right? Yes, I do. Three man weave. What is three man weave? I'm basketball well, okay. He says it's your three favorite guys, AJ, Hill, and Cannon from the Three Man Weave podcast. Let's get it. So that's how you get your show. Uh, Promoted by the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Anyways, he says, will the Bengals get a deal done with AJ before Julio and Michael Thomas reset the market? I don't think so. Oh, you don't? I think I think that they are usually the last domino to fall in these situations where somebody else needs to set the market. How did it work with Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas, and Julio Jones and AJ Green that offseason? Do you remember? No. I don't either. But I feel like Green went before them. Yeah. But I could be wrong, and I'm not inclined to look it up. So <laughs> you guys I don't, tell I don't me. think the Mike Thomas contract has much to do with the AJ Green contract. I mean, I think because it has a little bit to do with different ends of their it. career. It's a second contract versus a third contract. I think the Julio contract should be pretty much identical to the AJ contract. I agree. Yeah, it should be, and I think if I think that's a hurdle for whoever's second, because it, whether or not you feel you're worth more or less than that from either perspective. You know, if, if Julio signs for $22 million a year and gets $50 million guaranteed, Green's, and everyone would agree, Green should get that exact same deal. Bengals may bulk at that. I think they would. So that's why I would say it's in their um, best interest to go first. I don't disagree with that one bit. Okay. Yeah. You got the next question then. The next and last question. That's right. From my namesake, Juicy Jake. Yes, that's your brother. Definitely not. You guys have brother. the same first name. That's not That's how weird. that works. Nope. What type of numbers and performances does AJ Green need for the remainder of his career to end up in Canton with a gold jacket? Keep up the good work, fellas. Thumbs up. I don't, 
honestly, what he needs is to be an all-pro. And it sounds silly to get that put next to your name, but you do not see it happen for the Hall of Famers unless they make an all-pro. And that means you were a top three receiver in the league for at least one year. And it's crazy to think he hasn't been that because we've forever said he's a top five receiver in the league, maybe the best receiver for times, but his two best years were probably cut short due to injury. And those were his best chances to really get that, that title. And without it, it's going to be what's held against him. Like, yeah, he made a lot of pro bowls. He made seven, eight in a row, whatever it's been. Um, but he did not get an all pro. So there were other receivers that were better than him. He's going to be put in line behind these guys, behind Antonio Brown, Odo Beckham's and everyone, Julio Jones, all these guys that are in his class right now. And, and, similar age uh so i think that he needs to come out with his, one of his best career years in his final four or five years here yeah i mean he is also a bengal which is going to be held against him he's had yes. a rough go of it in the playoffs yep. when he's played which is going to be held against him probably yep there's also a golden age of wide receivers happening right now where there's this crazy talent across the board in the league where he hasn't like you said, he hasn't been an all-pro. Right. It's, He's uh, been limited by the team and yeah. players around him at times. Yeah. I mean, if he if he had gone to New England somehow, right, and he had Tom Brady throwing the ball, he's putting up Randy Moss numbers every year. Green Bay. Yeah, I agree. He ends up with a top receiver, a quarterback. He is considered one of the best of all time. Yeah. And that's a shame to say because I think we view him that way. And it's because we watched every snap. We know what he does. We know what he can do. A lot of fans, yeah, there's some criticism. I can criticize A.J. Green for not going up for every ball, for sometimes running the wrong route when it's a mental adjustment, uh, for having some drops, untimely drops at times, fumbles at times, injuries. But his upside ability that he flashes more often than not is tremendous. And I think he's been wasted in terms of that ceiling. We talked about floor and ceiling with with, uh, Tyler Boy. We've rarely seen for a full season green where I'm like, he is completely dominating to the point of getting the football fed to him, winning deep, winning long, winning short, winning in the red zone. And the two times I felt that way, he got hurt. I think all those criticisms can be levied against most of the greatest receivers that have ever played as well. Like nobody, none of these guys are going out running the right route every single play. No one's getting through seasons without drops. Everyone gets dinged up in the NFL. It's just a matter of, you know, how memorable are those moments and how big are your offsetting moments? That's part of the larger conversation of being a fan and watching your team very closely, very intently, to varying degrees. But you can be hypercritical of your own players because you see their mistakes constantly. Or you may go flip on a game and watch a Falcons game once in a while and Julio has a great game and you say, man, Julio's better than A.J. Green. Green has this mistake or this issue when they all deal with that. And you can turn that and that's like the Andy Dalton supporters will say the same thing. All these quarterbacks mess up and they make these mistakes and misreads and and untimely interceptions or whatever the case may be. Uh, But again, it comes to the – that's why you could just base these guys off the flash upside ability in my opinion because that's the difference making. Everyone's going to have these mistakes. You don't want to have too many of them. It's the variance of both the high upside and the low end plays. Uh, but you want to be, definitely be outweighed by the high end plays. So to answer the question, Green has to catch 100 balls for 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns and be an all pro. And then, or, and or, Jake, carry the team in the postseason the way Larry Fitzgerald did 10 years ago now. Remember that? Sort of. I mean, wasn't Kurt Warner the quarterback still? Yeah, but Fitz was nuts. In overtime games, catching yeah, a slant and going 50 yards for a touchdown. I mean, I mean, he was insane. There's still a quarterback there. Oh, I, I understand that. But if Green had those type of performances and they won a playoff game, that, yeah, would, that, would, help. that would help. I think he, need, he would need to have several more years of, of like you said, of 1,000-yard of seasons with 10 touchdowns a year for three more years. It would help quite a bit. And if he could have one great season where he stays healthy when he's dominating the way we've seen him do, that would also be a big help. But at this point, that's not making it less right likely. I think without a, uh, without a postseason footprint and without an all-pro, he's currently outside looking in. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And it's too bad, because based on talent, if it was the Hall of Talent, 
Yeah, he's in. Right. But yep. the Hall of Fame is is based largely on production and success. Right. And and that is largely out of the control of a wide receiver like AJ Green in the career that he's had in Cincinnati. Very true. Yeah. It's a shame. But, you know, he's got the skill to do it, and, and you can be hopeful for it. If you want to look for the next Hall of Famer from the Bengals, I think it's Andrew Whitworth or Willie Anderson. I think that there will be some momentum building around the Willie Anderson I campaign for the Hall of Fame. I think Andrew Whitworth will for sure get in. I do, too. And and then of current Bengals on the roster, Geno Atkins is, is easily your best bet, and he should get yep. in. He should get in. Yep, Geno should get in, especially since we haven't seen him really start to productively decline yet. And if he has another two years like this, he's in. Yeah. Anyway, that gets us through our questions. That gets us through a mailbag. There is your old-fashioned one-hour episode in case you missed the long episodes. Hopefully this makes up for the short ones this week. This is going to be the format, though. This is this is the deadest part of the year. We appreciate Hopefully we're entertaining. Well, you know what? People said they like the stuff we're doing. They so did. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take that to be the opinion of all of you. Yes, everyone, 100%. You can find the podcast on the Himalaya Podcast app, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.